This episode of Mindwave is not brought to you by Squarespace. You're welcome. Hey, uh, Jenner here. <laughs> we are continuing our Humanity First series today. I am very lucky to have with me Jareen Elkins. Jareen, thanks for uh, hanging out with me today and making the time to come do this wonderful, beautiful thing that we're all just drawn towards like moth to the flame. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Thank you so much for bringing me on. It was a pleasure. It was a challenge, but we made it happen. Uh, I probably put something in the pre-roll up up for this. Uh, I mentioned it on the website and online and stuff. That our, our first session didn't work out, so it was like uh, because of uh, headset mic issues. So I was like, well, you know, I just really I need to have a mic to send people. So I bought one and I sent it to her. And uh, I think it sounds good. What do you guys think? <laughs> well, and it got here in like one day because I live so close to a distribution center. So that was kind of cool. Right? Like, fuck Amazon, but like, goddamn, love me some Amazon. That was like literally <laughs> a, a, a drunk purchase, a drunk Amazon purchase like the night before and it got there in the morning. And it was like, awesome, cool. I love the future. <laughs> oh no, the bell. Uh, yeah, no, but it, it's, it's fucking great. And I, I want to be able to do this. So I, I thanked the friends at the top, but again, if you're supporting the show, thank you, uh, for making things like this happen because otherwise it would have never happened, you know? So, uh, we're here, we're talking humanity first. We're talking Andrew Yang. I like to spend most of these just getting to know you, like your backstory. Who are you? Where are you from? What's your life like? Kind of those. But a lot of people actually already know um, or are familiar with you. You've heard your name. You've been in and out of, you know, all all the different Yang groups. You've been on several of our live shows, been very generous enough to join. And uh, your voicemail is one of the most infamous in our little voicemail series because it opens up one of the one of the things. It's one of the most touching ones. So, yeah. Uh, this is this is your opportunity to like okay you have three minutes now you have as as long as you want just go who are you hi well, well how <laughs> how how early do you want me to start because like I've uh I'm a pretty big people person I've kind of got a crafted story of where I come from because it's been kind of a journey in my life. <laughs> you know what this is and this is something that I didn't quite really make clear enough um in season one of Humanity First that like. I didn't. I my intention was not to burn people out on Yang content, but this see that this series really isn't about him. It's about you guys. Like I'm telling you, like it's it's about your stories. So yeah, like we'll we'll get into or really we won't even have to say why at some point. It, I, I think just by getting to know people, like it's like it's it's something that kind of clicks into into place. It's just like oh, well, of course, you know. We're all coming uh -huh. together under these same ideas, even though we're so different. We all have, you know, our own our own unique challenges and and whatnot. Anyway, I'll shut up. <laughs> right. Well, like all all roads lead to this moment for anybody that's participating in anything, I guess. Um, I grew up in a small town in rural Montana. I grew up in the 80s and 90s. My parents owned a bar for 35 years so they were small business owners so uh it was always work 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 hard everything's going to be great everything's going to be fine um i i um had to work very hard but i did very well in school 
I graduated in a tie for first my class. We only graduated 68 people. Uh, I think we started with 111. We had a problem with people dropping out there last year. So I went on to uh, do some college. I took a year art school and um, I didn't think I was ready for school, but I went anyway. I really should have gone for music, but I decided to go for art instead. And that first year of college, my dad's sister passed away from scleroderma, which is, um, I don't know a ton about it, but it basically affects your skin and then all your organs. So she passed away and she was like, you know, that relative that was kind of the guiding light. She was, she was a hippie. Like she, she drove a truck and had a license plate holder that said my, my other car is a broom. So mm. <laughs> she was into all that crazy stuff. So I, I, I took a year off school and I went back and I work grocery, which was my second job. My first job was pretty cool. I worked at, I started work at 14 because you can in Montana. I was the range girl at the golf course. So they had this like homemade like rig on the front of a 1970s stick shift Dodge Colt. And I got to pick all the balls on the range. And then I cleaned the bathrooms too. But after I worked grocery for about a year or so, things weren't working out. I, I went and moved out to Seattle and attended the Art Institute of Seattle for a year for industrial design technology. I wanted to uh, build scale models or toys or something like that, but I had a male friend get mugged and I was a non-traditional student out there. And so ultimately I went back home, did groceries, wasn't working out, ended up uh, moving uh, over to Fayetteville, Arkansas and uh, with some friends from high school that played some music we were going to start a band and it didn't work out. I ended up uh, marrying a friend from high school, but he ended up being uh, deeply religious and I found out that I wasn't. So hmm. we we had a split and I went on this uh, big music pilgrimage, I guess. I just decided I'm going to have a good attitude. I'm going to have a good life. Um, I went to a Primus show and saw the band that opened for them and made friends with them and sold their merch around the Midwest when they were in town. And I just, when they weren't in town, I was kind of sad because like the music scene in Fayetteville is, I, I, it was not as exciting as the music scene I found in Tulsa by finding them uh, going around the Midwest. So when they weren't in the Midwest, I just started going to random people's shows in Tulsa and I met my buddy Todd, who's now uh, an expatriate and lives in Mexico City and plays in a band with um, a guy from Argentina and from Mexico. And they came and actually played our wedding. They flew in, they planned their tour around it. So, uh, but I met my husband at like a beloved music dive bar and we uh, just kind of laid everything out on the line right from the start and it was super easy. I'm married. We've got a kid. Um, we played in a band together for, oh, I think the run was five years. We had a lot of people, so we kind of have an indefinite hiatus situation going on. So that's where I'll, uh, do you have any questions for me at that point? Because, you know, like I've been talking well, no, for a while. I mean, this is, no, this is, this is great. And it's, it's so illuminating. And this is, this is the edge. This is, I, th I think, how I want MindWave to be different and how we talk about um, you know, th this part Andrew's campaign and this particular idea of, you know, humanity first and all that is because so many people 
are focused on you know like what are the latest polls who's who's tweeting oh celebrity endorsements and getting sucked into that part of it i i felt <clears throat> i felt myself doing it and it it it's it did just didn't feel like me I'm like there's there's bigger more important things to talk about here and so so much of it our our political discourse i feel is boiled down to you know like what which which ticket are you going to punch? Which team are you? You know, and and the whole point of Mindwave beyond Humanity First is just like, no, I don't care about I don't care about what color hat you have on, for example, because the whole pink hat, blue hat meme has been a, a thing for me <laughs> ongoing for the past <laughs> 24 hours. But it, it really is that it's just like that. In In typical political discourse, nobody would ever think to like, no, let's just actually sit down and get to know each other. So that that's really my goal here. And that is the perfect framing. Like so much of that just like told a beautiful story, like up, up till now, like from your first job, I'm like, oh, that is awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> so, yeah, no, that's, that's perfect. Yeah. Well, I guess I'll <laughs> I uh, uh, jump back in with, you know, I said work has been really important to me. So I went on oh, to uh, like do more grocery and I was going to have my own grocery store out of uh, like a regional chain, but they salaried you and made you want to work 80 hours a week. And I thought that's not a life. So I ended up going to Best Buy and I worked there for six years. Uh, my two most important jobs were there as I ran the back office stuff for the Geek Squad. So I got to test all the products that got returned and to decide whether or not they went to service. So that was fun. And then I was um, an inventory control and like systems research reconciler. I, I counted everything in the store every week and had to find it when it went missing. So that was a really fun and challenging job. But, you know, working for a corporate company, there's only so much they're going to pay you. And I was there in 2008 and them scaling back and all of that. So Eventually I went and I worked for Xerox um, for about a year, went through their whole training um, and that was really fun. And then uh, around that time is when I was changing my life and I was going to see music in Tulsa. And um, once I found my husband, I was like, he had, a, he had bought a house after the crash because it was affordable enough because the housing rates were low. And so he's like, well, I've got my own house. You should just move over here. And so I worked on moving over here and got a job for a second. And uh, the boss didn't like me. I'd never had a boss not like me, and she ended up firing me. So it was pretty devastating. Well, I went to employment services, and they said, basically, your skills are all over the map. We can't pinpoint you. You don't have any marketable skills. Don't come back. And I was, it just blew my mind, you know, going from like having high hopes in high school. I'm the first in my class. I can do anything down to nobody would hire me. So I started kind of figuring out a way to do odd jobs. Uh, when I was in Northwest Arkansas, uh, for a time I did some finished work for a trim carpenter. They did remodels and paintings and sheetrock repairs and like the fine sanding on mantles and stuff. So I was like, well, okay, I know art. I know enough about painting that I could do a good job doing that. And uh, my husband was playing in a jazz combo with a local architect and he had seen pictures of me uh, painting the office on Facebook. And he basically hired me to come do some painting for him. And that led me to actually uh, working for this architect. Uh, 
We have a Frank Lloyd Wright building in town. It's the only Frank Lloyd Wright skyscraper ever constructed. Um, it was built for, I think, H.C. Price or something like that. Anyway, it's a really weird building. It's super cool. But the original scale model of the building was like taken for the permanent archives at MoMA. And they commissioned this architecture firm to rebuild the scale model. So I got to be a major contributor in the construction of a scale model of a Frank Lloyd Wright building, and it's in the museum. So that's really cool. Um, but- that's crazy <laughs> cool. And that's something that we would never even know to ask. Yes. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's why this exists. That's that's beautiful. It was, it was we called it the, the, the people at the firm, we called it like the inception model because we were building a, a model of the building inside the building. It was just, <laughs> it was crazy. Very meta, yeah. Yeah, it's actually one of the only uh, Frank Lloyd Wright buildings you can stay the night in in the country. It's, uh, I think, 17 stories. There's only uh, three rooms per floor. And um, so when we had our wedding, we got married there because I was working in the building. After I got done with the model, they were getting ready to try and apply for a UNESCO World Heritage Site. So I helped them repaint the parking lot and refinish the floors and refinish the dining room. Like, um, And so we got married there and there are 19 rooms in the hotel and we had the best time. We got married in the art gallery and I made these. Um, so it's a two-story gallery and I made these 15-foot drop cloths. Uh, I divided them into squares and then triangles and painted them Frank Lloyd Wright colors. Well, I had uh, 15, 30, 45 feet. So I dropped it down from the balcony and then it was the aisle runner. It was so cool. Like I got to make art for my own wedding. <laughs> so that was really neat. But um, I'm getting way off of Yang, but we threw a rager. No, it's, it's not about <laughs> Yang. It's about you. That's the, that's that's the thing that we're reclaiming. And, and you make such... You made such an important point of of just being <clears throat> basically slave to market forces that are that are not under your control at all. If you're if you're going into the typical this is the type of job that you know we prepared you for type thing. I had a, a conversation with Ariel the other day, um, for season two that was very much along the same lines. It's like your value as a human fluctuates with, you know, supply and demand of products with seasons and holidays and that that's not right like Mm -mm. that's not right and there should be some kind of guaranteed minimum floor there and you shouldn't have to you know crawl and beg on your hands and knees to some like dystopian government office like the fucking hunger games to try and prove that you need it like we should just guarantee that outright as a basic as a basic fundamental principle of saying like you know, and I in in this keeps coming back to the whole, you know, different fundamental difference between his campaign and Bernie's campaign. And I don't mean to shit on Bernie. I'm, you know, I I've been a Bernie fan for many years, but the the fundamental difference there is that Bernie's platform reflects that he believes that people should have a guaranteed minimum standard of living. They should have that floor that they can't fall underneath, but it. They shouldn't have to work for it. It's basically like, it's basically like, yeah, we'll we'll guarantee it, but but you have to sign up, you have to work for it, and it has to be work 
that the larger society actually values. It it can't be something mm. like it can't be something like being a mommy because we all fucking know like being a mommy's like the most important job in the fucking universe. And like when when you and I were first like talking about like trying to find a window and shit, you're asking me like, like no one's good for you. I'm like, no bitch. Like, excuse me for calling you bitch. I don't mean to call you bitch, but like you have the most important job in the universe. You're a fucking mommy. I will make time for you anytime, you know, that, that works for you. Like, this is about you. This is like, you know, so we we culturally we need to think of it in those terms and and just get beyond get past this kind of only if you need it and you have to earn it you have to work for it like we're to a point as a society and as as a civilization that we should have this a guaranteed system that is you know you're not fucked if one day your boss doesn't like you for personal reasons and decides to let you go. That has nothing to do with your job performance or your value as a, as a human being. But those are the types of things that the economic insecurities that we have to deal with. And uh, another thing that you said really struck me is just like, you don't, the, you don't have any marketable skills. You're all over the place because that's exactly the situation that I got in. I started um, working at movie theaters and I did grocery for a while um, and, you know, doing temp things like, you know, like uh, uh, for Black Friday, you know, I'll get a job at Banana Republic to help them move through, you know, inventory and like mm-hmm. that kind of that kind of thing. And it was all over the map and there's all these gaps. And then anytime you go to apply somewhere that's like hyper corporatized, they want, you know, like your last you know, however many jobs and you need references and contact information for all of them. And you're, Ooh, we need to know exactly why you left that. And that system like is not, it, the system is designed for people to fail because n- almost nobody can jump through those hoops. You know, the, the, the system itself is fucked up. Like, and that's not our fault. It's not our fault. It's not because you're not, you know, a beautiful creative person. It's because like the, the market forces that are there, you know, it's, it's highly seasonal. It's highly dependent. Everything's fluctuating. There's no like guaranteed minimum baseline. This is where everybody starts thing. And that is the fundament. I think that's the bedrock of why everybody's coming to the Andrea Yang campaign is mm-hmm. just like, this isn't even really about politics at all anymore. This isn't about policy. This is just about a fundamental way of thinking of thinking about our society and the value of our neighbors, you know, and our kids. Well, and it's interesting. Um, so up until I had the baby, I was really pretty successful at being a freelance person. Like I could fill at least 40 hours a week and I still could. So that's where it gets tricky. Like I would file paperwork for a couple of elderly people that had trouble. I was power washing people's sidewalks and, you know, doing all kinds of stuff. I was managing three different buildings, like cleaning and painting and flipping apartments in between tenants. And when I had the baby, time constraints are what have me locked in. So I quit all of my jobs except for one really icky, demeaning, 
very well-paying cleaning job for an office building. And occasionally I'll run posters for nonprofits, which is this little business that I started like currying things for like the high school or the chamber of commerce or the fun run or whatever. So when I quit, um, all my jobs, except for those two little ones, like I have no childcare, none. Like if dad's got a gig and I want to go with him and watch him play, the grandparents will watch him then. But other than that, like, um, I don't want to ask them for too much help, uh, if that makes sense. So from whenever my husband leaves for work to when he gets home, like whatever I have to do, I have to do with the kid. And I can't go file paperwork for my lady that I really care about, the elderly lady, because, you know, it's an old house with a million knickknacks, you know, get himself hurt. And so um, that constrains me in contributing financially to my family. The Freedom Dividend literally would double my income. That's how much I make at my cleaning job before taxes. And if that doubled, I could just keep on doing that job forever and never have to go back and do anything else unless I aspired to do so. And that yeah. that could be pretty freeing. So I've got a joke to throw back, back at you about the scheduling and how you're like, bitch, I'm here for you whenever you need. Man, I was in, 11, in, in an 11 piece band. I know how to be flexible. <laughs> <laughs> so... But yeah, um, that's that's what's constraining me now. So like, I have a little bit of guilt. Like, I want a phone bank, I want a text bank. But I mean, if you've got a toddler that really loves attention and wants to climb on you like your monkey bars while you're phone banking, that's not gonna work. So I have a little bit of guilt, but I've kind of come to terms with it. Um, you know, I'm trying to network and and give positivity where I can. My husband was gracious enough to like let me go to Yang. Let me um adjust his <laughs> schedule like adjust his work schedule to allow me to be able to be free to go to Yangapalooza and go to the Dallas event so i mean we're really a pretty harmonious household <laughs> for the most part but uh the other thing the freedom dividend would do would with that we live in a house that was built in 1927 and it's cool as hell but everything is busted it's I mean, if you could restore this house, it'd be the coolest house ever. And I'd never want to leave, but it's like, <laughs> things are, things are breaking everywhere. <laughs> yeah. No, our building was built in like 1902. So mm. I, I very much feel that crumbling walls, always a plumbing, plumbing problem. There's always a fucking problem, plumbing problem don't, in these old buildings. Don't get me started on that. Uh, <laughs> I I fucking know it, but it it really just is about that. Um, it I I made the note of freedom because it, that's the entire thing is is that we should have that you know guaranteed minimum thing, and a lot of us don't have that basic freedom to even send Andrew a dollar a month or to phone bank or to you know, do some of the shit like some of the crazy Yang Gang people are doing, like literally flying around the country and jumping in uh, icy lakes. Fred, yeah. I saw that. <laughs> crazy motherfucker. So a lot of these people have more freedom and opportunity to to do more. And and those of the rest of us, we shouldn't feel like 
you know, like we definitely have something to contribute here. And that's why I don't feel, you know, necessarily too bad about not being able every single, you know, fundraising goal to be able to send something along because I'm, I'm contributing something in my own way. We're contributing something to the larger mm-hmm. conversation here that I, I feel, you know, isn't, isn't really out there a whole lot. That sounds, that sounds arrogant and pretentious. That's not what I wanted it to sound like, but you know what I mean? Like it, we have our own, our own strengths to, pl- to play to here. And I think that we should, we should all kind of have that mindset of like, you have value no matter what you're contributing. It, it, it could be, it could be money dollars out of your paycheck. If you're the kind of person who has that kind of expendable income, it could be, it could be minutes out of your day. It could be, it could be anything, you know, like what you do, what you do for society, everything you contribute has value. It's that, it's that reframing, that fundamental reframing of, of human value that, that just speaks to me so loud that I'm like this we need to amplify this like this is the thing that we need to talk about I get that there are YouTubers out there covering all the polls and oh look who what so and so said oh look at the endorsements this feels more important to me and this is how I want us to be different I guess (laughs) yeah well and you know let me say this Um, being a stay at home mom and kind of being constrained by needing to be home and working in the gig economy before that, I don't ever want to go back to working for a corporation ever again. Like I had so much heartbreak when I worked at Best Buy. I worked with a lot of great people that I loved, but it was like, you're going to be a manager someday. And I think I interviewed for 14 positions and they just hired the coolest, sweet talkingest frat boy they could over and over. And so that's why I left. And, you know, <laughs> I I think that once I have my son in school age, I will probably be looking to um, keep going with the gig stuff. And it's not, I think that I've got privilege because my husband has the benefits right now. And if I wouldn't have been kicked out of that job and had to be forced to be in that gig economy, I might be on a different team right now because I would have been stuck in the mentality that, you know, uh, you have to work within a system to earn your keep. Like, man, I'm working all the time, you know, (laughs) now that I'm not in the traditional workforce, like I'm with the kid all week, I'm cleaning, I'm doing the laundry, I'm picking up the dog messes, I'm raking the leaves, I'm going to the store and buying the groceries and I'm and I'm working on ceramics on the weekends and I'm cleaning the office building on the weekends and oh, I'm delivering posters next week, you know, like I I mean, it would just free me up to maybe once he's school age go back and help the elderly lady with her paperwork. I mean, that that is not something I would have ever thought I would be doing. But that's what I care about. And right now I don't have time to go help her. So there's that. Yeah. It's that frustration of not having the time and energy to do the things that provide you real value. And this this was a, a cosmic revelation for me because I was in it was I was in a similar thing where I was like I had the security, it was a good job, full benefits, it was cleaning, you know, custodial type stuff but it, it it was that value thing and that it was sucking up everything else to where, you know, I, I couldn't even imagine having the freedom to, to 
have, you know, conversations like this on a regular basis. And I was like, "Mm, excuse me, well, this is more important. Like what you and I are doing here, this is way more important than making sure the toilet is clean for the next person. Sorry, person, whoever you, uh, hypothetical person, whoever you may be. But it, it, it really just is like that in a nutshell. It's just it's just like we we need to do what provides us value. It and you know, in a lot of cases the the market doesn't value things. It's it's highly fluctuating. It's it's all gigs. I was a quote independent contractor yep. for several years and that's the only reason having that on my resume calling myself an independent contractor is the only reason people would even look at me twice because the only other explanation is oh i was unemployed for three years you know like like no i work for myself you know and doing those type types of gigs that like no of course i i don't have like a comprehensive archive of every gig i've ever (laughs) done you know yeah like so it, it's that survival thing. We've been forced into this system of having to do whatever that we can to get by, basically, um, regardless of market forces. And, and the creatives of the world, this is important. Like, we're going to be relevant for a little bit longer, but not much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, everything is getting automated. And the music industry is the perfect example of this because this is a, a trend that started decades ago this streamlining uh you know shiny prepackaged corporate you know (laughs) thing that they put out on the radio and call it music um that now it's automated to the degree to where like the human faces that they attach to these avatars are just totally disconnected from the art they didn't write it they didn't write the lyrics. They didn't do the music. They're just they're just the pretty face that Hollywood slaps on there to, you know, get tweets or whatever. And it's very much like it's humans don't even make the shit anymore. It's written by algorithms and it's just optimized for like, oh, well, people like this kind of like, oh, you know what really people really like is that. People love that. Put that in there like eight Not times. Not me. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's that they they use they use the uh, you know every last little algorithm to be like, oh yeah, this is exactly what people want to hear. People like this kind of beat, and that's why if you turn on the radio today, music is absolute garbage, and it's because people didn't make it. This like weird ass algorithm shit made it. And that's like, they're coming for all the creatives. Eventually everything's going to be like that. Computer coding is going to be like that. All music basically is going to be like that. Visual art's going to be like that. Graphic designs is going to be like that. Video game design is going to be like that. It's already kind of getting more towards that like procedurally generated thing where people aren't actually designing it. They're just saying, okay, make some clouds over here, make some trees over here. You know that that's the direction we're going. So we're we're fortunate, you and I, to have creative minds to share with the world. But you know, it, our, our <laughs> this is canary in the coal mine for us too. Like this, this they're absolutely coming for these jobs as well. If well, yeah, there's so okay. So my whole change. Unpack, I know, sorry. No, the. I ultimately changed my entire course of my life when I was 29 years old because of live music. I would hope 
that there are enough people out there that are just unbrainwashed enough that they still seek out the local bands, the regional bands. Like, cause I mean, like that's, that's my favorite stuff. Like before Yang, I'd never heard a podcast before and now I can't stop listening to them because it's like, Hey, there are these normal people or, or people with a certain amount of expertise out there talking about whatever it is that they've got going on. Like, like I just, there's no replacing maybe for the masses, but to a creative like you or me, there's no replacing watching somebody play live music. I mean, some of my friends are some of the most impressive people I know. Like I'm just, you know, work hard little vocalist that can't read music that hopes she gets asked to participate every once in a while because I'll get the work done. But so many of the people I know just impress me so much. Like my husband, he's got a degree in saxophone performance, got out, lived the gig life, decided he needed to go back and get a, another degree. He got a degree in finance. So now he can not be starving and still do music when he wants, you know? So um, I, I hope that if we were to get the Freedom Dividend actually enacted, like I know so many people in Tulsa that hold like some sort of gig style job, like you and I do or did or whatever, and, you know, hustle. And they play gigs all the time. But what if they had that extra thousand dollars a month? Maybe they wouldn't have to go clean or cook at a restaurant or whatever it is. And they could write more songs or save more money to actually finish production on a record or whatever, you know, like, I think it would be really transformative. So. Oh, totally. Buy better equipment, you know, get hosted on new platforms, be able to afford subscriptions to put your stuff on shit so that more people can hear it. I mean, absolutely. Pull your money and go on a tour. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, you, this is another reason why, why we're star-crossed buddies. <laughs> uh, the fact that you're a vocalist who can't read sheet music because I'm a musician who can't read sheet music. And there is something kind of uniquely, for people like us who kind of self-learners, self-teachers, you know, the autodidacts of the world who see the system that, that, kind of programs everybody else and like that doesn't work for me but i can figure it out myself you know like we're especially fucked in a lot of cases and which is totally backwards because you know the dynamic mind who can adapt and compete you know like it's backwards we <laughs> we this god see this sounds pretentious but we like the people who are that dynamic and and creative and outside the box like that those people should if there's a hierarchy those people should be at the top the people who are willing to fall in line and follow you know like the corporate whatever bullshit the 90 pages of shit that you have to go through to work anywhere these days and have a master's degree to earn 15 dollars an hour or whatever it is you know like those people like that should be like bottom of the pay raise it's the most it's the most creative most dynamic most outside the box minds who should be you know the upper echelons if <laughs> if, if i'm going to use you know hyperbolic language like that but it, it really does feel kind of backwards you know like it shouldn't be no you're not doing it right therefore you have no value you should be like oh you figured out a different way to do that Let's let's look at that. Yeah. You know, like let's... mad 
you know they, mad props there could be a bit of <laughs> mad props to all my yeah. friends that can read music though like my husband like has got a mathematical brain like he can cite transpose on whatever octave of instrument he happens to be playing like my problem i can i can read a contour i took um voice lessons in high school and i had a really wonderful voice teacher and she was uh, you know like i wasn't the most difficult or I wasn't the most easy teen to live with probably. So she got to be like my adult person that I talked to every week and got to sing with. And man, like, um, so I can read a contour and I understand the concept, but like if I'm reading a line of music and I get like, if I'm trying to play the piano or something, and then I get to the end of the line, like my brain short circuits. And by the time I get to like down and over to the next line, I, I like, I can't find my place again. It's so weird. I've tried, so mad props to people that actually know what they're doing, but I'm just really fortunate that I can listen and pay attention and know enough of the jargon to figure out what I need to do and how I need to do it. And, you know, another thing, I had a recording session actually last week with uh, my old band leader on a different project than the band we were in. And, you know, um, in my past life, I did some recording and it got really like toxic and uh, I just both attitudes were bad. And so I, I quit. And so when I came back to doing music again, when I was hanging out with my buddies in Tulsa, like I decided every single recording session was going to be positive. If I messed up, you could do it as many times as you want. And like, I have not had a negative recording experience since I left my old life. So that's really cool. That's something really proud of for like fixing on myself and it stayed fixed. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, no, re reclaiming that, and I've I've had very like I've had a lot of this, um, you know, personally. Not to get like too deep, I'm not trying to dump my purse out on this <laughs> bathroom sink here, but you know, like I have, you know, like deeply rooted abandonment issues and things like that related to my family and 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 all of all of that, and and losing friends in that whole. Oh God, where was it going? <laughs> I'm gonna cut it. It's fine. <laughs> well, I've I've it. done I've done some rambling myself. But, uh, you know, it's uh, I wrote I wrote something down. It was there was another thought along the lines of the of the self teachers. Oh, the people who. Yeah. Oh God, damn it! Well, I, I, mi I missed a window Not for, really. like for my tangent. I was going to go on a tangent back when we were uh, talking about our experience in the janitorial world. I have a PSA. People, mm -hmm. don't be rude with your trash. Don't be rude with your trash. People are really rude with their trash. Can you dump the liquids in the sink, please? And if you do, don't do it in the bathroom sink. Do it in the stainless steel sink. If you have to use a feminine product, mm -hmm. don't stick it to the floor out of spite you know like you know there's just some things people are rude with their I, trash be mindful somebody has to handle that shit so um yeah and it's not always the bad guy i i got stuck cleaning bathrooms inside a, a building that was um 
I guess I can divulge or something secret about it. It was a sheriff's office slash court. So nobody was coming there because they were in like a great mood or super positive about the people that they were going to, you know, have to see. And of course they shit on the janitor. I'm going to fuck this bathroom. I'm like, well, I didn't give you the ticket. I'm not standing in the courtroom. (laughs) You dick. I'm not a cop. I'm just a dude. But yeah, no, people definitely bathroom etiquette. I feel like we can. Humans can can go a long way. Yeah. Yeah. I will say the funnest part about my cleaning job is like, um, it's a three story building. And so instead of, uh, taking the trash down the elevator and down the stairs because, uh, bags might have punctures, it's carpeted. It's an old building. I, I get to throw the trash off the fire escape. <laughs> and every so often, every so often, there are people like half a parking lot away walking down the street and I just scare the living shit out of them. It's so funny. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, that's great. That's fucking great. God, I can't believe I had a brain fart, but that shit happens all oh, yeah. the time. And like... For the listeners there, where it glitched out a minute ago, that was because my brain literally glitched out, and that that does happen occasionally. Um, <laughs> just you know, playing to who you are, embracing your strengths, being yourself, saying you know, it it's fine. <laughs> that's another uh, another thing from this show that developed as a meme that's become like it's gonna need to go on a t-shirt. You know. What? <laughs> It's fine. Be you, do you, don't let anybody try to put you in a fucking box. If they do say, you know what, I can build my own box and it's going to be a lot cuter and sexier than that stupid shit you're trying to cram (laughs) me in, you know, and you will be like, that is what's going to make you stand out in the 21st century is, is not by following the old rules of the 20th century of get in line, get your degree, you know, jump into the meat grinder head first. It's going to be, it's going to be the people who take a step back and look at it a different way and say, maybe there's a different way to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Mini rant within a rant. It, it, it very is like human creativity is one of the most valuable things that we have. Um, and it's one of our most valuable weapons to wield against uh automation in the war for human irrelevance uh because that's really what we're fighting we want excuse me we want the automation we want the robots we don't want to have to clean toilets we want robots to have to do that shit you know what i mean we just also want to make sure that you know there's somebody to watch our baby children if we want to go watch a live music show Mm -hmm. that (laughs) you know yeah we're everybody's on the same page already so that like <laughs> this is why like i love this series and the thing that i love about it almost makes it feel redundant is the fact that like everybody we're all so different all our stories are so different but we're all like seeing the same thing and going like isn't this a better way and we're all like yes yes we all agree this is a better way it kind of feels like a circle jerk <laughs> you know what i mean and like the people that this goes out to is generally just other yang gang people who are like yes i also agree <laughs> i need to find a way to like transcend that uh this isn't a podcast about yang it's just a podcast about you know getting to know people and 
and and telling their stories and you know doing that <laughs> doing that part okay yeah it's still coming together i don't know it's, so it's let me boomerang evolving. that back to a better way so i after i graduated high school i didn't read very many books i have a hard time sitting still i'm a doer i'm a go-getter so this year i discovered audiobooks i had mm. my whole life has changed i have learned more in the last like 14 to 18 months and done more reading if you will in that time than i have in my entire adult life so we're going to segue that into what i was reading in june in june i was listening to ani defranco's memoir and uh i grew up listening to ani defranco always listening to uh her talk about her activism and it was always really important to me. It was always in the back of my mind, like one of these days I'm going to do something. Well, in June, I'm listening to her audiobook and I'm thinking like, man, one of these days I'm going to need to do some more. So after I get done with the book, Yang appeared on Bill Maher in June and I, uh, I heard him talk and, uh, I was like, whoa, unpaid work is work. Cause like I had some postpartum depression problems after baby was born because I couldn't contribute to my family financially. And it was like, just put the diapers on a credit card, just put the diapers on a credit card, you know? And so I thought, oh my God, that's what I was feeling. Okay, cool. So I keep listening and he's talking about reducing packaging waste on TV. Like no way. My mom uh, back in Montana is on the solid waste transfer board of Lake County. And she's been you know, talking about recycling for years. And so I was like, well, that's interesting. Like he wants to actually tackle the actual packaging being made, you know, like, wow, I got to check out his website. So that's what led me to his website. And I was like, wow, there's, there's a lot of stuff on here. Um, I'm going to read some of it. Yeah. Okay. It kind of makes sense. Maybe I should read that Yang guy's audiobook. <sighs> so I download it and I'm like four or five chapters in and I'm like, oh my God, all that activism stuff that I admired all those years by listening to all those folk songs. That moment for me is now. This is the guy. Oh my God. So. That <laughs> yeah, it's, it's surreal at that that audiobook if you have not listened to it it is in our book club at mindwave.media the war on normal people and fred had the perfect line for this he said you know he had kind of a similar come to jesus moment where he you know was just he heard something got curious about yang and then and then got the audiobook and his exact words he wanted to cry his freaking eyes out for america and i'm like that's that's the level of realness that that explains the passion it's not it's not that we're bots and that's another thing that gets thrown around a lot now is that people are so cynical and and so detached from the political process that they see they see people online who are genuinely impassioned like you and me who who see a brighter future you know for ourselves and for our kids for those of us that have them 
you know, and they, they see the passion and that they're, they're so cynical. They're like, that can't be real. That it, it has to be bots. That's the only thing that can explain it. And it's, it's, it takes that putting it, condensing it. it I mean, Andrew's a fucking wizard at this. So it's, it doesn't, it almost doesn't matter what you absorb, whether it be a five minute YouTube video or, you know, a, a, a two hour town hall or his book. I mean, like nobody can make the case better than the man himself. So if you're sick of hearing us talk about Andrew Yang, just go listen to him instead, you know, and then maybe come back to this with some context and go, oh yeah, I totally get it because it is, it is that, but you and I, again, are very much kindred spirits. This was that detached, uh, misfired neuron <laughs> disjointed thought earlier around reading sheet music is, is because like you and I are kind of the same way. Like I envy those people too, like the, the music theory people and the people who can play classical and stuff, because my, my brain just doesn't work like that. Like I it, give me enough time at a keyboard, I can figure it out. But like the dots on a page thing, there's a total disconnect there. It's like trying to, decipher ancient egyptian hieroglyphics it's like yeah you you know the little the the bird standing on one leg means this but like (laughs) there's an extra layer of translation that it has to go through your brain whereas if you're somebody who can feel it if you if you know to go to that note because that's where you know rather than being told to go to that note on a page it's a different it's a it's a different kind of uh phenomenon i don't i don't i don't know that that but that was the the thought earlier yeah it's definitely Um, about the feel but on on that connecting on that and and then also connecting on that feeling you know uh like because you feel like you don't have anything to contribute value wise like I felt that for fucking years because like after high school, I'm a high school dropout for everyone who thinks I sound like a pretentious dick. I'm not an academic. I'm a high school dropout. I was homeless for several years, couch surfing, staying with friends, whatever. And I met my, my former partner, now partner, (laughs) David. And for the first two or three years that we were together, he was essentially just basically taking care of me because the market didn't value my skills my my resume was a mess all the gaps all of the you know uh side gigs and all of that there was no comprehensive anything and it it is the worst feeling in the world to feel like no matter what you do you know you don't have value so i got thrown into a depression for years over this just like feeling dependent on on somebody else's success and like nobody should feel yeah that. Like we should all have that basic ability to pursue, you know, our, our individual passions and our individual, you know. Yeah. I think that's why it all hit me so hard. Um, when I quit working, like I worked up until like two days before my kid was born, I was up on ladders, like put batteries in a smoke detector or something, you know, like, uh, like I went from. I can work whenever I want. It sucks. I have to pay both the employee and employer portion of taxes when you're an independent contractor. That makes it way harder. So you have to charge more because they take more taxes. Anyway, like I went from basically having the freedom to schedule what I want when I wanted it and work however long I wanted and just 
I could always just go out and get the money. Like I had built enough of a reputation and people that needed my services. I could do that. And once the baby was born, girl working since she was 14 years old, girl's 35, girl doesn't work anymore. Girl has no freedoms. Like, whoa. (laughs) And then it's like, so if I want to buy something like, hey, uh, do we have this in the budget? Or I just like put it on the card and like try and keep the balance as low as I can, you know, like it's just it was a very uh, stark contrast to uh, the way I was used to living. And, you know, I think over uh, my son will be almost three. He'll be three in March. So like I think I've kind of found a spot where I'm really happy with it now. But when those lines of contrast were drawn where I felt like I was more dependent, it was way harder for me to be okay with, even if it's, you know, with anything. Oh, it's raining outside. Fuck the world. You know, like, oh, I have to cook yeah. dinner. Fuck the world. You know, like, <laughs> I'm glad to be doing better. The the, the dependence the depe- dependence is a horrible thing. It, that feeling that it's it's existential it, it it it's soul crushing and you know what like that's our our country was founded off of breaking the shackles of dependence you know our our our, our country's birthday is independence day we don't want to be ever put in a situation like we have to reach our fucking hand out and say like or like the the place I was going to earlier was like, hey, daddy, will you buy me a fur coat so I can look pretty? I mean, it's kind of like that. <laughs> it's it's just like having to depend on somebody else. Like we should all be able to carry our own weight so that we can carry the weight of others. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's the goal, right? It's it's not it's not to sit around and be lazy and, and masturbate and play video games all day. It's to, you know, just have enough of a hold on your own shit to be able to carry your own weight so that you know if you're the kind of person who can and wants to carry the weight Mm. of others you can you know a lot of us want to do that and it's that existential inability to be able to do that it's it's soul crushing it is absolutely soul crushing and i i dealt with this for just like years and years and years and it really is that just putting your foot down and, and reclaiming it and saying like, no, like, I don't know. It's, it's super empowering. Well, you know, cutting, cutting that shackle, but it takes, you know, it takes privilege, unfortunately, to be in the position to do that. Yeah. Like it's like, so that's why the Yang stuff is so important to me. Um, like I always try to be the best ally I can to be, can be to anybody if that makes sense. And it was like, I didn't really ever think or wrap my head around the fact that unpaid is unpaid work is still work. And all the moms that are in situations like mine, or that have been in past generations or whatever, I was like, Oh my gosh, how many women probably have felt the same exact stress as I'm feeling right now. If this could free up their bandwidth, you know, like it could I just, I'm really firm believer that it would really help women a lot. Absolutely. And at like deep to my core, like I'm an old school feminist and that this is very much like another one of the reasons that I want to see this happen is to return, you know, financial independence to women, you know, especially as Andrew points out, you know, women who are in 
abusive jobs or abusive relationships to give them the freedom to say, no, fuck you. You know, like I am total, totally girl power on that front. Like I'm, I'm an old school Spice Girls <laughs> fan. Like, <laughs> like I, I, I'm fucking there. Like, <laughs> For sure. Uh, but fuck, what was it? See, it just, it just happened again. It just well, happened again. Well, I'll, brains, I'll go. Um, like, so it also, realizing that, it made me think about people like my mom. My mom is, they sold their business. They kind of live tight. They have some retirement stuff going on. But um, over the last few years, like my grandpa, they he had a lot of problems and my relatives might be mad at me, but my mom more or less says he got fentanyl to death. And uh, so he passed away and then his stepwife passed away. But for years before that, she was driving an hour, getting their groceries, helping to take care of them. And then this summer, my uncle died from a bee sting and he had some issues with hoarding. So she's having to take care of his stuff. And my last remaining grandparent my grandma her mom is still alive and now she's caretaking her nearly every single day and she's doing it all for free and she just works all day every day and so people that are put in a situation like that where they have to care for uh, a loved one that's aging like that's really important to me too you know my you know like that's that's that i mean it can help any sort of caregiver of any stripe maybe feel a little less stressed out or that they have to hustle super, 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 super hard. And maybe they, you know, like if you've got your head down, sometimes you make mistakes or, you know, run into logistics trouble with something because, you know, you've got so much going on you skipped an instruction or something, you know, like just that sort of thing. I was a little rambly, but sorry. <laughs> no, the, the whole, my whole my whole show the, like the entire thing is. i like, still have to work so on uh my apologizing too much that's 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 been since childhood it's better but i think i've done it three times already today sorry not sorry <laughs> i'm yeah i'm bad about that too i am i'm the worst about that because i'm my own worst critic uh by far i think i think people like us tend to be uh, get down on ourselves more than anyone else, but the, right. Know. I don't really have a very good indoor uh, voice, fuck, and I can it? be kind of like loud or showy, but I always try to be courteous. <laughs> Sometimes I just get a little excited and go like, "Oh shoot, sorry, it was your turn. I didn't mean to talk so long." <laughs> no, it's beautiful, and this is this is what. Ultimately, this is what Mindwave is, is, is that it's it's conversation in real time and it's real. And this is that whole like, you know, because I oh, that was the other thing about like, you know, along the not being able to read sheet music. I'm the same with books. Yeah, I can't same read books at all either. So when I discovered audiobooks, it was a fucking like supernova went off in my mind. And all of a sudden I was able to read, quote unquote, yeah. all of these books that I, I had known about. But like there was no way to access that content, you know, in a way that my brain was like, okay, yeah, I can, I can drive with that. So like, um, oh fuck. And then there was, see, <laughs> when we get worked <laughs> up like this, like we're both, ha we both have running notes of bullet points of like, fuck. Oh, there was yeah. that. There was that. The, um, in, in the value of, in the value of work, of human work, like there are systems in place now 
that are heavily means tested that are like our society says, okay, yeah, if you're a struggling mother, you can get assistance with this, but only if X, Y, and Z. And if you look at, excuse me, freaking combination of monster and scotch (laughs) is not great for podcasting. No, but if you look at all the other proposals on the table, they're basically proposing the same shit. It's just like, yeah, we'll, we'll help you out a little bit, but only if you're this or only if you're that. This is what makes Andrew's campaign yep, yep, different. Yep, 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 yep. Because it's, there's no means testing to it all. It's it's a right of citizenship. It's 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 saying you were... And, and if we have to take it nationalist, fuck it, let's take it nationalist. You were born on the soil of the richest country in the history of civilization, and you should <laughs> you should get a piece of the glorious pie that uh we have created you know because that's really what it is it's like we we created the america that is the most powerful thing on earth like shouldn't like you don't have to go full communist and be like yes hand out fucking potato coupons or whatever like communist russia like that's not where like it was just like basic basic shit can we just say Oh, this was this was the other disjointed thing. The difference between Bernie and Yang is that you, the whole you have to earn it mentality of like, yeah, but get in line. Oh, fuck. It just happened again. Well, you know what I think? This is the worst because like there's so many threads here in my brain. And I'm like, I keep I keep grasping them and then losing them. Oh my god, no. It was um oh fuck, I had it. I don't I dig too deep into like um, the terminology of what those things are, but I just I think that uh for it to be for citizens would be really beneficial. It would, you know, it'd be really great. Uh oh, I lost my thread. What do you know? Um Oh, no, no, no. I got it. I got it again. So I have never been on any sort of means testing program. um, Technically. And so I did get on the healthcare exchange. When I left Xerox and moved to Oklahoma, uh, I bought like interim insurance before I got that job that didn't work out because I had a pre existing condition. I got on the exchange, but I bought in when the uh, the tool was broken. And so my account never worked. So anytime I ever got a notice, I had to call a 1-800 number and then I get stuck in these. It was awful. So uh, it was my first year of self-employment and they had conditions on whether you could have a subsidy or not. And I had never been self-employed at all. I just had to take a guess of how much money I was going to make and I made way more money than I thought I was going to make. So I basically had to pay back my entire subsidy at the end of the year, like $4,000 or something. And I was, I was saving 30% of my paychecks too. You know, that's just my general rule. And, um, I don't borrow money from my parents to pay for the subsidy. I accidentally became disqualified for. And so that makes me want to really talk to the people that are on those programs and figure out what they think of means testing, because that was a fucking nightmare for me. 
and I wasn't technically even on a means testing program. I just disqualified myself from the whatever parameters uh, that allowed me to be on the subsidy. You know what I mean? Like if that it was like having a second job, like every few weeks I'd have have some sort of menacing piece of mail come and I thought I was going to lose my insurance. And I was so thankful when I got married. I just hopped over on my husband's plan and it sucks that it costs so much and that it's bloated and we don't use it hardly at all. But if we were in real trouble, we'd at least have a way for some of it to be taken care of. Like it's, it's just, uh, I just think that the more I learn about means testing, the more I think it's cruelty. It totally is. It is, it's dehumanizing. And I've, I've been through this process myself I've I've had to get on food stamps a few times, you know, just so that I don't die. Um, so it, it it very much is that like okay, it's like applying for a job. You know, you need to have your whole thing, and then with a lot of them, you know, because it's regional. With a lot of them, you have to fill out a paper. You know, like every single week, here's, I went and applied to this job and this job and this job and this job. And here's the, here's the supervisor that I, that I talked to. And, you know, like, here's, if I have an interview or not, you have to prove that you're looking for work. You have to prove, you know, X, Y, and Z. It's a bureaucratic nightmare. Every single piece of mail that shows up in your mailbox feels like, you know, red and blue lights going off in your rear view mirror, you get that like, Oh fuck. Like just living on the knife's edge of like, not knowing if you're going to be fucked into a gutter over some bureaucratic bullshit. It's, it's that existential dread. It's that it, and it totally is dehumanizing and we like need to get rid of these systems. The system that we have in place we need to phase out of it immediately. I just like, want everybody regardless. to do better. Whatever I want, we I want something with. good to happen for everybody. <laughs> yeah. every, if we every, all want that. Every person that does better, that's better for you too. I just would wish for the world to be able to think more like that. Oh, thank you. <laughs> oh my God, Jareen. It took like eight times for this neural connection to re snap into place Bernie VA (laughs) (laughs) and this is really a phenomenon among his supporters the Bernie position is that like billionaires should not exist Yang's position is that no yeah poverty shouldn't exist exist. yeah in the richest country in the world yeah poverty should not exist this level this level of human suffering should not exist in the richest, most powerful country that has ever existed on this planet. It should not matter who you are. There should be a universal guaranteed floor beneath which you cannot fall. Yeah, better you bargaining know? power. And it's a return to the American... Yeah, it's a return to the American dream. It's, 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 this is why I'm so pumped about it. it. It really is existential. It really is about returning to core principles and and looking at the political landscape as it is today and rejecting 99% of it kind of like the way that you and I reject the conventions of uh education or 
you know, music or the, the way you're right. It's to not on purpose it's either. Just like, it's, it's just like it just how it happens. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, absolutely. 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 Yeah. It's been fucking and you know what? I got to say, uh... I, I, I really <laughs> care a lot about all my friends that really love Bernie. I did vote for him in 2016 in the primary and voted for Hillary in the general. But I am heartbroken, maybe, um, that they may or may not have taken Yang and what his message is seriously. And maybe they have, maybe they've just decided that yeah. Bernie is what's best for them. I want, you know, I all the love to those friends, but it just breaks my heart that am I the only one that's seeing this? Um and I just, you know, wanted to, I wanted to give way. them yeah. some respect because I know there's some like, you know, sometimes <laughs> the bros and the gang get get into a tussle and I don't want to tussle with my friends. I just want to like plead to them to to look at the big picture, the fact that all these policies weave together mm-hmm. to make it all work. Unless you've taken a look at the whole picture you probably are going to stop short so that you can hold on to what you believed in so dearly before. Yeah. We all want the same thing. We all want people to not suffer. We all want, you know, our, our families to be secure. We all want, none of us want veterans mm, no. sleeping on the street. We all want the same thing. We have different visions um, I was a Bernie supporter for many years, and I think for a lot of them, it's just about loyalty, especially because of how hard yeah. he got screwed over in 2016 by the DNC. So, you know, especially seeing kind of hints of that now with the Yang campaign, this kind of like inherent bias, establishment bias against him you know like i'd I'd hope that more bernie people can see that the exact same thing is happening and i mean i've said it on the show bernie's a fucking champion you know his positions that were considered radical 20 or 30 years ago are now considered the mainstream view of the democratic party i i'm asserting now without qualification like unequivocally what yang is proposing now will be the default generic state proposal of the democratic party in 10 or 20 years you know they the ideas seem radical now but that's just because people haven't you know quote thought harder we need america to think harder about this stuff um and not just punch a ticket not just pick a color flag to actually think about well and you know what maybe maybe i'll even walk that back a little bit because i think that maybe the uh the things that we've seen online it seems like it's yang versus bernie a lot but honestly if i really think harder about it it's not just that it's i i i think i'm sad that not everybody (laughs) If all the other candidates, you know, like, and that's, you know, maybe that's because I'm so 
deeply um, invested in knowing what's actually being talked about that I feel like uh, this, like the sirens are flashing, like, come on, you guys, you just, you just, you should have just know know what's out there. Like, I, I mean, I've devoted a lot of time to listening to lots of videos and podcasts. Like I super love the moving forward podcast, by the way. Um, yeah. Yeah. Shout out to moving forward. Yeah. Long time. They, they really helped, uh, with all their policy episodes or whatever, like doing a lot of that stuff and like been following Scott Santons and stuff. It just, I just, I just want a better world. That's really all I have to say about it. (laughs) I just want everybody to do better. (laughs) Be happy. (laughs) I love it. Me too, girl. Me too. I'm glad you mentioned moving forward because um, we're recording this uh, towards the end of January-ish. It's the 26th today. The show is officially coming back, rebooting February 2nd, and the episode that is dropping to release that and make that happen is the very first episode of the Outrage Machine series, which we've been talking about on the show for a very long time. And it is Woo. with Rio Verdonier of the Moving Forward podcast, who is, like I said this, and the, and the conversation is fucking fantastic because he's such, he's like a clarification wizard. Like he puts things in historical context and like, just the terms, just the the precision of language there and the framing is is so helpful. And I I am the first person to admit that I am not one of those minds. I'm one of those minds that sees a mind like his yeah. and goes, no, go to that. Go go do that. I, I can't do that. Uh but I I I appreciate that. So you should go do that too. So we've we've been friends of moving forward for for long, long, long times. Uh, me love you long time, <laughs> Rio and Corey. You guys are fucking awesome. Um, and, you know, it, as soon as I kicked off the series, I was like, please go over there to, if you want to dig into policy and politics and stuff. Cause I, that, that's not me. I can't, I can't be that guy. I have, I have to be <laughs> yeah. like this guy, the, the podcast guy. So. You know, play to your strengths. Again, play to yeah. your strengths. Speaking of outrage, <laughs> like, I don't like the outrage. Let's just be nice. Like, that's that's one of the gifts that the Yang campaign has given to me is that I'm not outraged anymore. And I think I might have mentioned to you before, it feels so good to be fighting for something again instead of fighting against something. Mm-hmm. Against, Yes. Exactly. No, my my Twitter feed has gotten a lot psychologically healthier uh, since I joined the Yang Gang. I'm sure a lot of people out there <laughs> can probably resonate with that idea because, you know, the the concept for the outrage machine is that it's all it's all incentivized. That's mm. the default mode. It seems to be in in discourse is that we just want people. We don't want people to think. We just want people to trigger themselves into outrage tribes so that they can battle it out and there's a better way there's a better way to move forward and it's conversation and it you know it might be uncomfortable it's probably going to be entertaining um that's what 
that's awesome. what I'm going to try to unpack with the outrage machine. And it's, it's, it's across the board. It's, it's not just, you know, in politics, it's in, it's in, it's in social conversations. It's in conversations around gender and race and sexuality and, and because there's and and the environment and a, a, a billion other things. It's so, yeah, awesome. I, I, can't I cannot <laughs> wait to get into that. Uh, I hope listener, <laughs> I hope listeners out there, if you've, I'm sure you've been hearing me talk about this for months. It's finally off the ground. Episode one is finally down. I actually have uh, episode two as well with an evolutionary biologist. So it's going to be crazy cool. And I cannot wait to drop that. We got a week left, Jareen. I think it's like, like literally, <sighs> yeah, like a week until the release. And I still have a whole bunch of sound design to do. So the it's, night before the be night before caucus night. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, oh geez. Oh geez. Did I time that? Probably Did not. I time that bad? Probably not. People are. <laughs> oh, I think the boy. people in the in the Yang Gang are. <laughs> tuning in as hard as they can right now all cylinders are going i know like uh it's almost like did i see that interview did i see that interview did i see that review like um so i've been (laughs) i've been uh adjusting the speed of the videos when i'm watching them on youtube and it's the cutest thing ever to see um kai watson's videos on double speed (laughs) Oh my gosh. He's already on like 1.5. How can you double that? I love you, I just Kai, thought it, You talk a million miles was, an hour. It, it was a it's really great. sweet, fun it's thing. Great. I was like, oh my gosh, this is the this is crazy fast. Yeah. So anyway. Oh imagining Kai Watson on double speed is that that is just a, a treat for my brain to just imagine that. That's that's fucking great. Uh, but Yang Gang out there, if you like, I, yeah. I'm trying to be a little bit different, you know, as a, as a content creator. And if you enjoyed this conversation, you know, be a part of it with us. Um, one of the things that kicked this off was the voices series that I started, which includes a voicemail line where, where you can call in and leave your Yang story three minutes or less, you know, and just kind of package it in a little hey here's who i am Uh, i mix those together with music into youtube videos that are very moving and cute and that's going to be a big part of this 2.0 humanity first thing is that i i really want as many of these as possible so call in share your yang story and hey who knows it might lead to uh, a conversation like this I'm a cool guy. I might literally just send you a microphone so you can come on the show. Uh, I've been Jenner of the Mindwave podcast. Thank you for joining and thank you for listening. Jareen, any closing thoughts? Yes. You beautiful, beautiful human that I love so much. And thank you so much for participating and, and making this Humanity First series happen. What is what is humanity first to mean to you in a nutshell and and what are your what are your closing thoughts of beautiful beautiful wisdom well um i uh, <laughs> no pressure i think i already talked about all of that i think i'm gonna ask you a question and maybe presume you'll ask me dude what's your favorite band i love it oh this is hard <laughs> give me I a just couple got into then this with, 
I just got into this with Chet earlier. You and I have talked off air, bonded over um, mutual artists of loviness like Tori Amos. Um, my favorite band. I don't. I don't know if I can pick one. Um, in terms of, in terms of, give me a few. Like, give me a few then. <laughs> like traditional structured bands, like artists. I I have a handful. I'm super weird and eclectic. Stevie Nicks is like my spirit animal, mm. so prob probably she'd have to be at the top of the list. Uh I mean, fuck, really? Today, I mean, like these days. Yeah, today's snapshot. I have lots of, I have lots of nostalgic, you know, like I love Legend of Zelda: Ocarina of Time, but I have cooler things to play now. Ah. But I still have like a, I, I still have a, a nostalgic connection to that game. So I don't. I have a lot of nostalgic connections to artists, but I think the one artist today that's putting out content that i'm just like this is this is my human that's that has to be john d boswell uh aka melody sheep who i've been trying to pump and promote on the show because his work is phenomenal symphony of science on youtube you probably have already seen his work and not even realized it um he t he takes um like science lectures and documentary type stuff and puts it through auto-tune um, into really, really cool instrumental um, things. Whoa. And he's, Doreen, he's like you and me, he's he's self-taught. He's, he's another self-taught musician. So he's not, he's out totally outside the box there. His compositions are intensely beautiful and he just he starts with awesome content um and and sometimes it's science stuff and documentary stuff um there he did a bunch for pbs um in uh like remixing mr rogers and bob ross and Reading oh wow Rainbow and julia child so if you've seen those those pbs uh things of remixing Mr. Rogers and reading Rainbow and shit. That's that's John D. Boswell. He's a, he's a friend of the show. Or I'm trying to I'm trying to make him cool. a friend of the show. I wrote it down. <laughs> I, I've been in good. Yeah, yeah. He Melody Sheep, man. One word. Okay. It's it is fucking. It. I will go on and on and on about Melody Sheep because <laughs> I. It's it, it, endless content. He's. Now he's into doing like full documentary series. He did something called Origins with um, Jason Silva that was on like Nat Geo. It was on Human Origins and uh, fuck. So many cool projects. This guy's phenomenal. So that that's that's my answer. Cool. Very cool. <laughs> In a very, very long winded uh, little nutshell. What about what? What about you? What What is okay? What are your I've got I've got a few. Speaks to you the most. Primus, mm. Mm. Tom Waits, mm. Ani DeFranco, and probably my buddy Todd's band, A Love Electric. Todd Aaron and Hernan. Hernan has a Latin Grammy, I believe. So anyway, I think those are my favorite right now. Yep. I love that. <laughs> I love that. 
that it's like your friends are included in there because that's we really should yeah the 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 stuff that i went to go see live that not a ton of people know about have always been my favorite bands i think you know (laughs) it's it's fun also there's this really weird song from the 70s uh i I i've dabbled in a little captain beefheart too there's a live performance on seven uh, 70s tv I think maybe in Germany or something. There's a song called I'm Gonna Booglerize You, Baby. It's so weird. You're gonna have to look it up. It's so strange. I'll send you the link. We have enough time. I'll, we have enough time. I'll put it in the show notes. All right, so, cool. Kids. So, kids, go watch that. Again, thank you very much for uh, hanging out with us and being a part of this Humanity First series. It's one of my favorite things uh, that's ongoing things with the show so no man it's a blast it's a blast i love it this is yeah (laughs) this is phenomenal so we will talk to you guys next time stay tuned and um see you bye (laughs) all right my name is lance i'm calling in from uh, texas and uh how i ended up with um so i ended up losing my uh, job i got laid off from a uh um, a big oil and gas company here in Houston, uh, a huge oil and gas company, like the number two oil and gas company uh, in the world, probably. Um, back in 2000, early two, no, late 2018, and uh, this is actually right before, well, right after. So we got the news right before, but this is right after um, Donald Trump actually just gave um, all the huge uh, tax companies. Um, oil and gas companies or huge uh, corporations um, tax cuts. So we had um, upwards of like, I would probably say 800 to a billion dollars in like tax cuts that we can cut back like and we saw like immediately. And then the next month we saw like a round of layoffs. And I was a part of those uh, layoffs partially because um, the position I was in, which was a back office position in finance, um, was getting outsourced. Half of those jobs were getting outsourced to Budapest because it's obviously cheaper for the labor out there. And then the other half were getting like automated away through a uh, software that was just coming on Aquaman. And uh, it could just do my job better. Fact, fact is, it's just more efficient. And uh, we see that. And if I was catching that at. Um, you know, what I thought was a, a decently high rank, uh, ranked position, then I can only imagine, you know, what's going to happen to like the rest of the nation when the automation wave kind of comes crashing down on them. Um, it was, uh, it was the best, it was the gift in disguise though. Like it was like a, the Trojan horse of life or something. And it was like presenting me with this, it was presenting me with like, all right, well, what do I, what am I going to do now kind of thing. And, um, you know, I had a, a good a little bit of money from a severance check that they actually gave us just with the company for three years. And uh, I started traveling, which was amazing. Uh, finally got to get away. So that was, that was a blessing. And uh, then I came back and I found um, the Joe Rogan podcast. And that was by chance because I don't even know. I just picked it up and I was like, yeah, I've been here by Joe Rogan. <laughs> And um, I listen to the Joe Rogan podcast, and I'm finally realizing that this guy has just explained what has been happening in my life and what's happening in other people's lives. And I was just getting to the point where I was becoming like aware of 
you know, the situation and the, the depth of the situation. And I was like, oh my God, I didn't even realize what just happened without him. Like, he's just saying what I thought. I yeah, so I'm finding myself, oh, this, sorry, this is Lance again. Um, so I'm finding myself looking at, you know, exactly what he's saying, like, exactly what's happening and it's happening to me and from then i took a i was like i took a step back and i was like wow something's gonna happen i'm really shook about this whole automation and artificial intelligence thing i have no idea and um people have to know about this so going from a complete zero in politics and politics or anything like that um to becoming active and like donating to the campaign and going out and meeting the local gang gang um has been amazing. So I do music festivals a lot. That's kind of like my thing when I did this whole year that I was taking off and using my severance check and stuff like that. And uh, it's a very like loving, caring environment. And the first event I stepped into with the Yang Gang, we did a um, we did a Houston Food Bank charity event, volunteer event. And I walk up to to the group or whatever like that. I'm introducing myself. First thing first thing the guy goes is uh, my friend David. He's like. Hey man, where's your merchandise at? I was like, hey, I chip in here and there, whatever like that. I just never got around to buying merch or anything like that. I was with my girlfriend. And uh he's like, Here you go. Takes off his hat and gives it right to me. And I was just like, What? Thank you, man. Like that's this feels like a music festival. This feels like the same exact vibe that I run and, you know, almost escape to because like like the real world is just not as friendly and nice. But this is how it should be within the gang gang and I felt like right off the right off the beginning and I thought it was thought it was amazing. I was like, I know if this is the right place to be and I was so excited. So um I find myself in the Yang Gang or like that. I'm, you know, doing my whole thing. But I'm also this is also a part of the um the blessing of this guy. I'm also trying to start a business now, which is exceptional. And um I'm having a lot of fun with it. But a lot of businesses aren't me going through this actual particular um, thing. This is my first time starting a business or trying to start a business. And all the challenges that Andrew Yang says we're facing are 100%. I have student loan debt. I try to go and get a business loan or whatever like that. It's the hardest thing. I need my parents to co-sign off on me. It's making the economy less dynamic, not being able to get a hold of capital or funds that people have good ideas that they want to to impart on the world, to impact the world. Um, my particular business is um, going to do that. It's going to it's gonna be a, I don't want to say a barometer, but it's, gonna, it's going to enact social change. I feel like we do not interact as human beings enough. Um, and I'm super excited to actually like release the uh, concept to the world because I think it's going to do a lot of benefit. Lance here again. So, social change is what I want, right? And my concept that I'm bringing to the market is going to enact that. And the Yang Gang mentality is going to, once we get him in office, is going to reinforce that, you know? So, one of the things that I've been practicing along this year of kind of being unemployed and, you know, picking up with the Yang Gang and, and doing all this stuff is an exploration of self-mastery. So I've been reading a lot of books and just trying to um, become more knowledgeable about self. And one thing about um, 
self-mastery is you learn once you kind of like have your basic needs met then you get to the next level of trying to become like a whole person and then from that level you go on to wanting to um help other people and i think i'm at that level now and with universal basic income we could actually get more people to that level if they could both they could get off of the existential crisis kick and we'd actually have an immediate boost of higher collective consciousness once we get that off our backs then we can focus on healing self and then we can focus on um teaching and coaching others so i feel like universal basic income is going to be a huge proponent in lifting everybody's higher collective consciousness and if we're not here to make others smarter and create stronger groups and communities and cultures then we're we're doing it wrong and i feel like yang gang spot on with the movement and where we're trying to go and i want to see that america like i want to see that people where nobody has to fret about if they're going to live or die based on you know what i'm saying if they get this job that they didn't want whatever like that and i'm really excited about it and working towards it every day and uh, more and more people say that Oh. oh man, that was a good one. Thanks for sharing your story, Lance. That was fucking awesome. That's the first like multi one that I've had to stitch together, uh, but it was fucking great, man. I'm gonna see, guys. I gotta get him on the show. So uh, ex- expect a text from me, buddy, because that, that was. You fucking nailed it, man. <laughs> you nailed humanity first in a fucking nutshell. And uh, we want to hear from everybody. Like, literally, literally everybody. This series is one of the coolest things that I've ever been a part of. Um, if you would like to leave your voicemail, uh, grab a pen or your phone or wherever you happen to uh, record digits, that number... 602-456-2253. And uh, there is a three-minute limit, but as Lance just showed, leave as many as you want. If you fuck one up and you're like, oh, don't use that, uh, super chill. Uh, it's about getting the voices out there because this is how we fucking win. This is how we change the world. It's not going to be... <sighs> Humanity first is going to win this. It's not going to be the polls. It's not going to be the fucking media coverage. It's not going to be that. We don't We don't have to play that game. We can make our own game. This is our sandbox. This is our fucking time. It's our time down here, motherfuckers. I love this. I love humanity first. I love you guys. Yang gang. 20 fucking 20. Let's kill this shit. I'm so excited. Thanks for listening. And uh, we will talk to you next time. Head to our website, mindwave.media. The Mindwave podcast is produced by Studio Stargazer. Copyright 2020.